0: Hi, I'm Briar, and today I'm recording this podcast with Kiri Harmer from Castle Ridge, and she is going to talk about orphan lamb rearing. Kerry, would you like to talk to us about who you are and your farm?
1: Yeah, hi, Briar. It's, uh, we farm in the Ashburton Gorge, which is inland from Mount Summers, about an hour from Ashburton. Um, it's a high country property. So the altitudes uh, at the house is just under seven hundred meters. It's about six between six fifty and six sixty meters, and goes up from there. So high altitude, short growing season, not a lot of shelter because it's hard to grow, and we have restrictions on landscape value. Um, it's about five thousand eight hundred hectares. A lot of it's flats, big developed flats. No irrigation. It's all dry land, and it's summer dry. Uh, quite a low summer rainfall, um, and we run about 14,000 merino ewes. 12,000 of those go to the Pol Dorset ram, and then the two-tooths, 2,000 two-tooths go to a merino ram to breed our replacements, <clears throat> and then we buy in top-up uh, replacements as we need. Uh, we also have a Angus beef cow herd of about 600 cows and about 350 red hinds.
0: Well, that's great. Sounds like quite a cool system. Uh, So, what is it exactly that you're doing with this orphan lamb rearing?
1: Well, a few years ago, we we merinos aren't very good mothers. They don't don't count very well. They get lots of lambs. um, So, our scanning percentages are usually pretty good. um, You know, in the in the hundred and forties, but our lamb survival is not very good because a the ewes don't count very well, and b we don't have a lot of shelter, so it's quite exposed, and we lose lambs to hypothermia. So we've always been rearing lambs on on a you know on a bucket sort of system, and we'd got to the point where I was doing it over a hundred that way, um, and it's very labour intensive, and um, we thought there must be a better way, and then we discovered automatic lamb feeders.
0: So if you've seen it's labour intensive. Why do you do it?
1: Good question. Um, lots of lambs, and absolutely hate seeing lambs dying for no reason. Uh, and not only is it lost profit, but it's a whole animal welfare thing. And I hate putting slinkies on a slinky pile, uh, and I hate seeing dead lambs. So there's a huge amount of wastage there that we that we didn't want to have. All our lambs are ba- all our stock is basically store. Uh, because our season's so short, we end up not finishing everything, we sell the stores. But in saying that, we have a big on farm lamb sale at the beginning of February for our polled Dorset Cross lambs, and we use the polled Dorset Cross because those lambs are worth a whole lot more than a straight merino rather than putting a merino over everything. Um, so we don't lamb until mid September. Oh, Actually, later than that, it's about the 20th of September, we start lambing. So, most of the lambing actually um, falls into that first week in October. Um, because, and even then, we'll still get snow in the in the lambing time. Uh, like I say, lambing percentage sits around that 140 scanning. But then our lamb survival to sale, so right through from used to the ram to survival at the 1st of February say, when we sell on farm, is actually only around 100%. Um, So we started feeding them, and it was always a low-cost system, but when we got the automatic feeder, the cost went up slightly, but we've always made money out of it. Every year we've done it, we've made a profit, uh, and it's ranged from... I think it may have only been about twenty dollars a head one year when milk powder was more expensive and the lamb price was lower. But on average, it's about forty to sixty dollar, or forty to fifty dollars a lamb profit that we make, and that's after, um, after labour. We include extra labour because we get extra help at lambing time, uh, and milk powder and all those other costs and p- extra power for the lamb feeders because they do suck the power out. Um. Yeah. So that's that's profit as opposed to putting a fifty cent slink out at the gate and feeling awful about it.
0: So what is actually the sort of system and process that you follow
1: when it comes to uh, your lamb rearing operation? Okay. So we shed off because we don't have a lot of shelter. We shed off every day during lambing. Um. So that we've got about four mobs that we shed off. Um, each day, and when we're shedding off, we will pick up spears that are obvious spares at the time, and those are usually brand new lambs. They'll as soon as they're picked up, they'll get their navels sprayed with iodine, and then they'll go in a in a straw-filled box on the back of the truck, and then every, and then everybody will come in with them into the shed. Um, we've got a setup in the in the shed back at the yards in the in a corner of the covered yards. Uh, that is fully enclosed and lined and got heat lamps and straw and stuff. And those those lambs, uh, if I can get the guys to do it, they'll get sprayed again, just to make sure that they've done it properly the first time, uh, on their navels, and then they'll go in the box. And then there's a system in the boxes, we've got like two or three, depending on how many lambs are in, two to three boxes, and the lambs will progress from one to the other. And then we basically use um, chalk rattle, for the different things. So, a lamb that's had to be tubed will have have a, a, a T in, in a particular colour. A lamb that's had colostrum will be marked a colour. Lambs that haven't been fed yet are always blank. And then each time they're fed, they get one colour used for that feed. So that you know at the end of the day, if they've got a yellow and a blue mark on them, they've had two feeds since they came in, or whatever. Um, on that day, and then you've got to use a different colour the following day. So it gets quite colourful, um, but it works pretty well. Uh, anything that uh, we also mother on, uh, so there's a mothering on system going on at the same time, and we've got about 30 mothering on crates, so there's always one or two people at the yard letting use out of crates and into into small pens and out into the paddocks and checking lambs and feeding lambs and and various things. So those two people are critical because they run the ship and uh, everybody who brings lambs in has to adhere to where they want them put so that the lambs don't get mixed up. Uh, So then those lambs, when they first come in, depending on how lively they are, if they're good, um, they might have to wait for a wee bit for a feed. If they are not happy at all, and they're cold or weak they will get warm glucose um, injected straight into their tongue. I think you'll find uh, there's lots of information about how to do that but it is way worth doing the biggest one of the biggest tips I can give people is to get that energy into your lamb before you warm it up because if you warm it up and it has no extra energy left in its system, it will it will die once it's warmed up because it will use the last of its energy to warm itself up. Uh, those lambs then get colostrum, and we use powdered colostrum, uh, and because of the numbers, I have tried using cow's colostrum with Colostrum Keeper, and it does work, but I've always got to keep warming it up, which is a nuisance. The lambs then progress. Um, they have a bucket feeder in the corner of those wee pens when they first come in. And those have got the same teats on them that are on the lamb feeders. So that some lambs will start to just slurp on that. There's always milk in there. And some lambs, will order. you'll see, you'll just walk past, either putting lambs in and out or feeding or whatever. uh, And you'll see lambs starting to drink. So as soon as we see that, we'll mark them because then they can instantly progress over into another pen. And by the end of the first day, often, quite a lot of those lambs are actually feeding themselves. And we've only got to make sure that they're full at night. We don't do night feeds in the middle of the night. So everything gets fed at the, in the last run until they're full, and then they get left for the night. But they all get left with a bucket feeder with milk in it overnight. So in the morning, you can see who's had a feed overnight because they're the ones that are full. Those are the lambs that then can go, once they've been, had their uh, two days of colostrum, they can then go straight over, over over onto the feeder, onto the automatic feeder, because you know that they're going to have a go, because they've already been feeding themselves. Um, anything that doesn't drink well, either over on the feeder or before that, uh, sometimes lambs just don't like the teats, we'll put them onto use. And we'll also put the very small lambs, if we get little triplets that are too little, we'll put them on a ewe as well, because they tend to do better on a ewe than they do on the feeder situation where there's a bit more uh, pressure in numbers and stuff. And they take longer to finish, whereas on a mum, um, they're they're on their own and they tend to do a lot better. Uh, So we we do a lot of sorting of lambs uh, into different groups. Uh, And yeah, we we just work through it that way, really. And we'll take in the first thing in the morning. The the oldest pen in the shed will will take twenty of those lambs over to the feeder. Now, what will have happened over in on the feeder is that the automatic lamb feeder will be um, there's a there's a pen number one, which is the beginners pen, and then there will have been about. 15 or 20 lambs at the most, hopefully only 10 to 15 lambs, depending on our, how our numbers go, in that pen, they will have been learning how to drink. So we'll have spent quite a bit of time on them the day before, making sure that they're drinking well. If we go over first thing in the morning and they are full, then they can go over over a, a wee gate into the next pen. That then frees up to go back to the shed and get another 20 lambs and bring them in.
0: Now that they're on the feeder, what's the next step,
1: Kerry? Okay, so the we have a whole separate hay shed that's set up for the lambs on the on the automatic feeders, and we have wood chip in there. The very first pen, the beginners pen, still the first two pens still have a heat lamp, uh, and it's all very much draft free. So we've got ply up to make sure that the that it stays draft free around the bottom of the hay shed and stuff. Uh, The first two pens, like I say, get a heat lamp, and the first little pen is straw as well at the back so that it's nice and toasty. But the rest of them, it's it's wood chip, which we change probably once, twice, but we add to. So every time it gets slightly damp, we put a dry disinfectant down, um, which soaks up the moisture and kills bugs, and then we put new chip on top. Uh, And then if we can on the bigger lambs, uh, we'll get the bucket in and scrape it out. A couple of times, once the lambs are big enough to go outside and get out of the road. Um, so basically, we they just move move from pen to pen. So our pens are very flexible. They're done with Prattley gates so that the size of them can change, and so the number of teats per pen can change. So each automatic feeder is when you buy it is set up to have eight teats on it. But you can actually double each one of those. You can tee off each of your tubes so that you can end up with um, 16 or 20. If you know, our biggest pen has about, uh, or oh your yeah, one pen, I think we can, you can get up to sort of 16 or 20 teats if you needed. Uh, we end up with half the hay barn, and it's a four bay, three bay deep hay barn, so it's quite big. Uh, one of the, t- well, one and a half of those p pe- bays for two hundred and fifty lambs on one feeder, and they just have a whole bank of about sixteen teats, and and they they're on that, um. But they have progressed through a number of about four pens to get to that point, and so they're probably ten days to almost two weeks old by the time they get into that into that final that pen. So we also have a. Automatic feeder that we've put in a shipping container out in a a small holding paddock. Uh, Well, it's a small paddock with lots of good grass in and clover. And the lambs, when we start running out of space in the shed and the oldest lambs are big enough, they then get shipped over to there. So then we can have 260 lambs out there and 250 in the big pen. And then there's usually another couple of hundred in the rest of the hay shed. Uh, so those lambs, as they 're progressing through those pens, they have from day one they have access to fresh water and they have access to a lamb start mix, which uh, takes a little bit for them to get used to, but they will start nibbling it straight off, uh, and then they also, from about the second or th- yeah the second pen along, so not the beginner's pen because you t- teach them to drink milk, but from the second or third pen along, they get. A good quality pea vine, which is not pea, not pea straw, it's pea vine hay. Uh, so it's it's high legume quality feed, or you can use a really good quality hay or lucerne hay type feed, and that's to get the rumen really going, and, and that works pretty well. Um, we also put drainage in those pens in that hay shed, so we dug soak holes and filled them with stones. And then, the, so then each year, the wood chip at the end of the season all gets scraped out. So it spends the summer um, being exposed to the sun and the air and kills as many bugs as possible. The back of the hay shed, we have made little flip top doors so that the lambs can get outside. And from about being about four or five days old, those lambs will want to go outside. Uh, and particularly if it's a sunny day, they'll be out racing around, particularly in the evenings, they'll be hurtling round and round and round those pens, and when they're ready, they'll come back inside for a feed, because they now know that that's where the milk is. Uh, and I think that's why I have f- don't have too many problems with health some health issues, and I think it's because they can get outside and off the wood chip and in the fresh air, uh, which I think is so good for them. Um so that's, that's the basic system. And then uh, they work through until they're getting a good size. Um, and then we will start to look at weaning, um, which tends to often, same thing, tends to start about the time we either start to get the odd case of bloat, or we're running out of space. If the, if the lambs have come thick and fast, we can run out of space quite quickly. Um, But it just depends on the size of the lamb. So I don't like weaning under 16 kilos live weight. Uh, Basically, you get an eye for it. So we'll weigh the first few. Or actually, often we don't weigh the very first few because they're usually bigger than everything else. But then we'll weigh some of the first cut that we wean. And we wean by putting them on a trailer and taking them out to the deer pen so that they're in a nice and closed area they can't get out. Uh, And we will tail them and um, give them a, a probiotic drench and things at that time uh, so that then they go for it. They also get nuts at a, in the nut feeder that they've had the same as they have all the way through. Um, they'll have access to those and good clover-based pasture uh, and that works pretty well. Um, what I should have said too was that we do uh, vaccinate uh, for clostridial and also for scabby mouth when they are in the shed, simply because you you know they're a bit more susceptible because we don't know how many antibodies they got off mum in the first place. So what other health management uh, things do you do for your lamb-rearing system? Okay, so when they're little, it's things like uh, watery mouth, which is caused by E. coli. Uh, that's one that you've got to get onto really fast, and the, um, the advice I was given was, is uh, a white antibiotic over, um, given orally, um, and keep them isolated if you can. Um, some of those come right, some of them don't, and you can only do your best with those. But do keep, try and keep them isolated because it is contagious. Uh, then we have quite an issue with interned eyelids because of the merino, the fine wool sheep are more prone to it. And we, uh, there's various ways of dealing with that. Uh, we use a combination of pinching the eyelid in the middle, which makes it puff out. And you can also use an antibiotic cream or, um, or spray or powder as well. Um, the other thing that you've got to keep a really close eye out on is arthritis, sore legs. And that tends to pop up a little bit later in the shed. So that tends to be when the lambs are maybe uh, four or five days, they've been in the shed four or five days, and then you might notice one that's starting to limp a little, or might have a slightly swollen knee. Um, get onto those really quickly too, and that's that's penicillin, um, talk to your vets, but that's uh, quite important to get onto uh, very fast. because. The longer that sits, the less chance you have of it coming right, and they will always be lame and, and stay with the keep the arthritis. Um, the other thing uh, I talked about scabby mouth and uh, clostridial. The other one, of course, is the biggie for pet lambs, and that's bloat. Uh, now the bloat is is an issue because the because of the casein in in whole milk and because it sits and curdles and you end up with this lovely warm milk in their tummy that the bacteria love, and then multiply and then create the bloat. So the things that you can do to work on that, and it's entirely dependent on your system, whey powder obviously has become very popular and is a really good way to deal with it. Uh, I would suggest that you don't need to go to whey straight away because you want the lambs to have a, a a little, at least some whole milk in the first week or so, um, but whey certainly reduces it because it goes through the system faster. So you do need to—they will need—they will drink more whey than they will drink whole milk. You can, if you're feeding whole milk, you can yogurtize it if you've got a small system. And I used to make yogurt in uh, big batches in chili bins with hot with hot water in chili bins, and you just keep using your starter the next day. It, you know, you keep some back to use as you started for the next day so you don't have to keep making lots of new yogurt. Um, that's pretty easy once you get into a system and it works very, very well. Um, the other thing about the bloat is getting those rumens really going well um, so that they aren't so reliant on, on just the milk. Um, and the other thing that's important to go with that is making sure that those older lambs have access to lots of clean water because you want them to drink milk because they're hungry and drink water because they're thirsty. Uh, so that's, that's that one really. From your observation,
0: Kerry, uh, how do these um, hand reared lambs perform versus their, um, their paddock mates that have been out on mum the whole time?
1: It's quite interesting because in actual fact... Uh, While they're going for it on the feeders, uh, they are actually usually on a par with the ones that are out in the paddock, Uh, and that's how often how we know how well our ones in the shed are doing is by whether they do look as good as the ones out in the paddock. um, On mum, Uh, when we sell our lambs in February at the on farm sale, an actual fact between sort of sixty and eighty percent go straight to the works. So while it's a store lamb sale. A lot of them are finished and ready to go straight off mum, and a proportion of my feeder lambs will go in that sale. So they have, they have done just as well as the ones that are being sold. Um, you know they might they won't be in the top pens because top pens will be great big singles that have been reared on mum. But my lambs will be in those middle pens, and I can usually pick them. Uh, they, because lambs fed on milk powder are a slightly different colour uh, in the wool, so you can actually see them. And uh, and every now and then one will come up to you too. But um, so they do, yeah, they do do. They, there's no reason why they can't do as well. But I could never get them that good on the bucket feeding. I even on bucket on the, when I bucket reared they were never quite as good. So I think it showed me. It's shown me. Mm-hmm. The benefit of the ad-lib feeding. Now, if I had my time again, I could probably ad-lib feed on uh, feeders that aren't automatic lamb feeders, you know, not mechanical ones. I think there's m- many more systems out there too, or ways of feeding on a just a bucket feeder ad-lib. And maybe I could get them as good, I don't know. But certainly going to the automatic lamb feeders, those lambs can be, yes, as good as anything that goes out on sale day. And then the smallest of our own lambs and the smallest of my, my lambs, we will hold through and they'll get sold later in the winter. They'll get We will hang on to them and finish them and sell them later in the winter.
0: Great. What resources would you recommend to
1: that are out there for people that are looking into getting into large-scale uh, lamb-rearing? Yep. Well, this whole process with Beef and Lamb has been fantastic because I think now we've got a whole group of people around the country that are starting to communicate, which is superb because I always used to beaver away on my own, never knowing whether I was doing it right or not. Um, so the Beef and Lamb Knowledge hub's a great place to start. There's a huge wealth of information on there with um, just rearing lambs in general uh, and, and all sorts of different systems. There's a new Facebook page that's been set up called NZ Lamb Rearing and that's a great forum for getting some discussion going. Um, AgriVantage, who are the company that produce Sprayfo, I'm not usually big on particular companies, but they do some very good lamb rearing workshops and produce a really good lamb rearing handbook. Uh, and I know that some of the other milk replacer companies are doing similar things. If you're looking for automatic lamb feeders, in Canterbury, in the wider Canterbury area, Canterbury Farm Services is a company that is, uh, sells the DeLevel ones, and they're great. Uh, and I know that Southland, I think, has Southland Farm Services, which I think is basically the same as a sister company, perhaps. Um. Be warned, there's usually about a 12-month delay or lag period on those automatic feeders in the country. They have to import them. They're made in Germany and they have to be imported so they don't normally bring in too many unless they know that they're going to be able to sell them. So those of you that want to get into it this year, you've probably missed the boat, but you will be able to order one for next year. Um, The other resources are your local vet, uh, and down at Clutha Vets, John Smart's done a huge amount of work on lamb feeding and, and mazel bloat, uh, and has produced quite a lot of information if you go looking for that, uh, and of course other farmers. Um, just get out there on, on and ask the question uh, at any field days or anything that you're at, um, or anyone you're talking to, and, and pick everybody's brains, because that's all I've done all the way along. That's
0: fantastic, Kerry. Thanks for such an informative uh, session today. Look forward to hearing more from the likes of yourself and others in the future. You're welcome.